Derek. Hello, Victor. <laughs> Happy New Year, man. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, happy f- being free of Terminator. Oh my God, yes. This this these past couple of weeks have been so nice, so nice. It actually it actually has been two weeks since we watched the Terminator movies. Look at the calendar, man. It's the fourteenth. Oh, I have a a terrible thing to admit. Oh, about a week ago I watched it again. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I had like a, a dead area in my schedule and I went, you know, I've done it so many times. I just want background what's, noise. What's once more? There was more? no new podcasts. What's, what's once? Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, okay. So just as a um, just as a little introduction for those who are, who are listening and have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, my name is Victor Frost. Uh, my name is Derek Chapel. Yeah. And uh, we, the both of us did this this project in the last month of 2015 where the both of us decided that every day that month we were going to watch the uh 1984 classic the terminator um this was a mistake that was such a bad idea (laughs) but you know what but you know what we made it through it um and and getting going through the process of watching a movie every day and I, I fully admit that this time, last time, it was all Derek's idea, and I, and I kind of, pro- I probably goaded him into make turning it from some sort of half-assed, you know, remark that he was never going to follow through on, into something that actually happened. So for that, I am sorry. But <laughs> um, this time, it's entirely my idea. I thought, man, wouldn't it be a hoot to watch fifty-two, to watch and review fifty-two movies? This year, one ostensibly for each film. We're, we're starting off a little bit late, um, uh, so we're gonna have to probably double down <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll this year. do it. We'll do it as a special thing, like a double feature. Yeah, a double at some point. Thank you. That is an excellent idea, Derek. A double feature. Maybe at some we'll point. do a movie and its sequel. You know? Yeah. You know, I haven't. I, I'm assuming you've seen the Die Hard films. Yes. Okay. Because um, I was gonna say I yeah. haven't seen the I haven't seen the first two Die Hard movies. So maybe for like the Fourth <gasps> of July, we could do the first two Die Hard movies. <laughs> well, I have to establish something real quick. Have you seen Independence Day? Uh, with Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just making sure. Well, yeah, because if you hadn't, that's the one you have. To- well, you haven't seen Die Hard. Well, there I was don't a know. time in my life where I was like a really big Will Smith fan, not just like in movies but his music I like i have time is from birth till now well i mean i have big willie style and willennium <laughs> um, right. anyways so uh this is 52 films uh the idea is that we're gonna watch 52 movies this year it's it's pretty straightforward two men one year 52 films that's a little that's a little tagline on the on the blog there um and uh let's get down to it derek what movie did we watch uh, we watched Expelled from Paradise, which uh, was directed by Seiji Mizushima uh, and done by Toei Animation. Yeah, Toei Animation. These guys are literally the Japanese Disney. I mean, they came out and literally said, we want to be the Disney of the East. And so far, they've been doing a pretty damn good job. I mean, they got, uh, what's it got? Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon. Um, yeah. Uh, Galaxy Express 3.9. Yeah. 
He's pretty it's probably big. Probably a mistake for you to mention Sailor Moon. Now <laughs> I've gotten to there on Wikipedia. God. No, must go no. back. No, no, bad Derek. Um, so we watched. So we watched Expel from Paradise this week. It, this week's movie was my choice. Um, I I liked it, but there's there's a sort of hanging qualifier, uh, and I'll I'll bring it up after because I want to hear what you thought of the movie first, Derek. All right, so what I thought about the movie was, uh, so when I first started watching it, I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. And then when it started getting going, I went, wait, no, I know exactly about this. (laughs) And this is the kind of movie that got me into anime. (laughs) Like, um, But in like every way, it has all the same sort of like cool concepts and uh, approaches to things Mm -hmm. that got me watching anime and all the problems that you kind of either learn to live with or become a terrible weeaboo about. Okay. So I'm going to, so I'm going to stop you right there. Um, I'm in the middle of writing the, the te- my text review for this movie. This is, this is not mandatory. Ideally, I think we'd be, I think me, I think we kind of want to do more of these audio reviews more than the text review. Cause the, cause the text reviews are kind of a pain in the ass to write. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'll probably do something text-wise, yeah. but they might not be reviews. Yeah. They will probably be weird notes because that's kind <laughs> of my do, favorite format. I do <laughs> love your notes, Derek. The the note. If you guys want to check out some of Derek's notes, I'll link you back to uh, the uh, uh, thirty-one days of Terminator. But um, I'm going to read you the first paragraph of my review, and. Because it just fits in so well with what you just said exactly. When watching Expelled from Paradise, you get this incredible sense of familiarity. Like the feel of a heavy winter coat pulled out of storage for the season. The kind that always seems to feel just right, no matter how many years you've owned it. But that familiarity, while great, can be an anchor for works while trying to reach great heights. Another word for familiar, after all, is predictable. And this is kind of what I mean when I say it, it ties into what you were saying, because it does feel like the same sort of show we both kind of watched growing up. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I kind of found it interesting because um, it, it felt like uh, a distillation of a lot of the, the anime that I really am into. Like, it has <laughs> just the light dusting of a philosophical thing, like a like a, a ghost in the shell or like the, you know, the... A, there's bits of it that are like really fast paced uh, pat labor, and there's bits that like have the the sort of wait. Did like, you say pat labor? Yeah, but I said bits and fast paced. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, saying, I'm just going like I'm pronunciation. I thought it was pat labor. Yeah, Maybe it's because I've only ever heard Rim and Scott they're, pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, they're labors. That's like they're they're like I've never watched mechanical it. I don't know. forklifts. I don't. Know. Uh, and there's there's like. Uh, there's a little bit of the eighties action sci-fi, like my favorite genre in the, the presentation and especially in the mechanics, like uh-huh. the, the presentation of the machines is very <laughs> similar to that sort of, uh, just like mechanics for its own sake, like fan service with machinery uh-huh. instead of, you know, bodies that uh, sort of typifies a lot of that sort of uh, late eighties, early nineties, anime like it's it's got this spectrum going of like here's all the things you like about anime in a movie mm-hmm. but it's also got the ridiculous outfits and the sort of oh, the, uh, the very predictable plot beats and okay. 
yeah. the that kind of stuff that is also typical of like this is a, there was a moment and, where I went this is great but it also is kind of extruded anime prod <laughs> product it, it does because this is the sort of like when you look at okay one of the big complaints about you know the standard action movie big blockbuster you know release nowadays is that people will say oh yeah this feels like it's just following the same formula to make that big blockbuster hit and i feel like this is sort of doing the same thing like it's got let's okay let's start with the casting right it's got wendy lee it's got stephen bloom it's got johnny young bosch they're, oh, I watched they, the uh, the Japanese. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. So you didn't watch it on you watched it on Netflix, but you watched the Japanese. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. See, I watched it in English. So okay, we're we're getting a little bit. Okay, well, okay. It's got Megumi Hayashibara in it. It's got, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, th- this for for an American anime audience, those three voice actors uh, and actress um are not exactly unknowns, um. And, the, and this is not a bad thing either, because you have this sort of scenario where you're you're watching this and you're it feels so familiar. But I mean, we're not going to begrudge a movie because it says like Brad Pitt or Jennifer Lawrence or anything. Mm-hmm. But their voices are so recognizable that their their voices are so recognizable that it's just it feels you don't hear you don't see Dingo the tracker for hire because all you hear is spike spiegel bounty hunter uh yeah i yeah that's yeah i i think another part of it is that it's very structurally predictable like it's it 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 hits all the beats that one of these does like i kind (laughs) of got there was a lot of conversations where i knew the next line like (laughs) when there was you know when they first approached the robot and i'm like that's not remote controlled he's about to say he's an ai okay he's an ai he controls the space he controls the spaceship uh and the like this um one of the reasons that modern hollywood productions tend to feel very samey especially like action movies and stuff like that because everyone on hollywood in hollywood read the same book recently (laughs) uh called save the cat like i'm serious this is a real book that i i have read it uh, and it it basically lays out a roadmap to like here's how you make a likable character here's how you do this here's a, to the minute when stuff should happen almost <laughs> and you watch like the marvel movies and it, those are in it you watch like boom, any of those boom, action boom, movies boom. that people enjoy and take in every summer yeah. they're hitting all those marks yeah. um and this kind of feels like they read the japanese version of save the cat yeah and <laughs> it's i mean but this is i mean even the the story itself it's this is a very old story. It's 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 dances with wolves. It's Avatar. It's Pocahontas. It's the Last Samurai. It's it's the story where a character from one culture learns to appreciate another culture that they thought was inferior to their own, and eventually has to defend it from their own culture in some sort of combat deal. It's the exact same story, just again, but it doesn't make it a bad thing that it's the same yeah. story again because it's a good story. What's our spoiler policy? Um, I think if they're listening to this, they should have watched it already. All right. Yeah. Cool. So I want to touch on something that annoyed me about this film. Uh, Angela in, in Balzac's that name. You, that <laughs> I laughed pretty hard. Uh, I, it was so on the nose. That's the that that was the moment where I went, "Oh, you want those Ghost in the Shell people, don't you?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Something that annoyed me at the end was that um, that 
fucking Angela decided, <laughs> her dumb name, she decided to, you know, stay in her meat body on Earth. Really? And you didn't like that, huh? I didn't like that because, first off, it's the cliche. But second off, she, there's, I didn't see any, um, to be honest, I thought her arc was going in the opposite direction from, from there. Like, this was hitting so many cliches that I should have seen it coming. But what I was getting was that this was a character who still, like, she never really gave any indication that she liked being meat. Uh, and she had this out of, like, you know, be digitized on the spacecraft that I not only thought that she should take, given, you know, her characterization thus far, and the fact that she really, like, she was pretty eager to get out of her meat body and we never really got well, to talk I mean, to her. She was eager to get out of her meat body because she thought she was just she was going to go back to uh, was it Eden? What was it they called it? Uh, oh, Diva. Diva. She was ready to go back to Diva and bring bring the bring back this report, and she'd be the first one to do it, and she'd get you know she'd get her laurels, and then well suddenly now Diva is not an option anymore. So I think it's pretty. I think the only reason she wanted to get back to her digitized form is because so she could go back to her old status quo and experience the fullness of of, uh, of feeling around for subatomic particles and and. But what I'm saying is she had that option. Like that's the but, but robot she, offered her that but, option, but she really didn't because I mean, I mean honestly, people still need to interact with each other. And if she was going to be the only person on that thing apart from Frontier Setter, which don't get me wrong, seems like a cool smart, dude. Cool dude. But um, I loved his hat. <laughs> got that fucking hat. <laughs> I love that his little avatar. Oh yeah, like his little it was a little, it was avatar a little, had it was a little like voxel wacky, hat. Yeah, voxel hat. Don't get me wrong. Frontier Setter seems like a really cool dude. You know, he'd be cool to jam with. But if if it was like between the if the choice was between being on Earth and experiencing all that Earth had to offer, and being stuck on the on that spaceship with Frontier Setter for the foreseeable future, um, because she she won't die. She's she's digital. She's not gonna die. Um, mm. I think the choice is pretty clear. <laughs> well, but that's like I don't know. Maybe I've just read too much, you know, weird transhumanist fiction. But I think the choice is pretty clear. You digitize yourself. You, <laughs> if you get bored, you copy your brain, muck around with it a bit, and have a friend. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, okay. So, so there is what there's the there's the optimal transhumanist kind of thing that people would do, and then there's what and then there's what movies will do. Yeah, that it's it's true, and I should have seen it coming. Right. But like, the, like the, her last lines in the film, among her last lines, I can't remember exactly. But Ugh. she was still complaining about how heavy her body felt and how much it su- the air sucked. Yeah, like she wasn't really <laughs> into this. <laughs> well, you know, it's like you, you gotta rem- you gotta think back to the middle of the movie where where I'm, I'm just, I'm, I don't even care what his real what his name is in the thing. I'm just gonna call him Spike. Where Spike? Yeah, he's Spike. Yeah, he's Spike. He's 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 Spike Spiegel. I don't really give a damn. He's Spike Spiegel. Um, where Spike was, where they were eating their ramen or whatever, and uh, Spike, you know, he's he, you know, Angela. She's just eating. I feel bad calling him Spike. Uh, Dingo. 
whereas where Angela's eating her his her ramen or whatever and Dingo reaches over and pours a little soy sauce or whatever in there and she takes another bite of it while she takes another like spoonful or mouthful while he's talking and you see this look on her face like it is a serious look of mm, damn that's good you know <laughs> yeah I can I can see where it, I mean and also look they ship the movie shipped the two of them really Pretty hard, hard yeah yeah I mean I mean come on it, it just a little bit of a squick factor on that though because even though I fully recognize that that her that mentally she's like 29 or 28 or whatever um that does is it a, ever say I, I think it does because when you're looking at the um when it when it because I watched this movie twice Okay, I'm um, gonna watch it again to do yeah. notes. I, so. Ironically, the first time I watched it, I was wearing my uh, Samsung Gear VR, so I was watching a movie about a person coming from a virtual space, watching it in a virtual space. That's pretty great. It's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, but actually, to be honest, I enjoyed watching it more on the Gear VR than I did in my actual living room on an <laughs> actual TV. <laughs> but um. You have this moment. You have this whole thing where it's setting them up. So she's like, it shows her when they're bought, when they're growing her body with the whole maturation process. You know, the age is starts at one thing, and then it just goes tick 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 down to okay, you're cutting this short. She's going to be sixteen. This body, yeah, and it's just like I've rolled my eyes, like oh god, oh, and then it comes down, and she's got, and then it's. The movie goes through great pains to show you, wow, look at her ass. And I'm yeah. like, oh, come on. I knew I knew that it would have that kind of stuff from pretty much the first scene when you see that redonkulous swimsuit, oh, which God. I tried to figure out how the fabric would be configured on that thing. Like, got, how would you put it on it or wear it? It has to be some it? sort of fancy future. Well, I mean, it's all digital. Well, no, but I mean, like, literally the, oh, a, a f- projected no, hologram. Well, no, so. I mean, like the. I thought you were talking about her actual, you know, birth for birth for the first time upon earthen soil, kind of outfit that she. I mean, does it never, like, does it never occur to Dingo? Huh? If we're trying to fly under the radar, she's being mighty conspicuous in that high technology suit. I think it suit, might. You know? uh, he puts her in that poncho. But oh come on! It's on. a poncho. She's still walking know, around. Sti- you can still see yeah, it's, her. Yeah, she still got her ridiculous. Yeah, no, oh. it's still dumb. Uh-huh. But they they paid lip service to it. Now I'm I'm talking about the swimsuit at the very beginning of the oh, movie. Oh man, that's that's like I already knew. Like, all right, it's just gonna be one of these. Just gotta roll with it. So the so the movie on Netflix, um, is is rated. I think it's rated like. PG thirteen on Netflix, yeah. Uh, um, but that is clearly an R rated movie. Just, uh, just, <sighs> just due to that prolonged scene when she's chasing after Frontier Setter in the virtual space for the first time, and she is buck naked. Uh, I think yeah, it would probably be an R That's down an in R. the states. Yeah, maybe not up here. Oh, because it's Canada, and Canada yeah. is because I mean, there's like there's very little. I mean, the 
there's almost no that's the the one thing that really makes it not like those 80s anime there's like no violence in it no some robots is, get okay, beat up can we, let's and they just blow dis- up some bugs but let's, that's it yeah let's discuss this um so there is for there is a lot there is a good amount of combat in this movie but it is all concentrated at the end the entire time coming up um, you know up until the final the the climax of the movie where all the action's going on it's very like procedural they're all exploring they're they're explore she's you get an exploration of her first introduction to the physical form which she has never experienced uh, until then she kills some bugs and fights some guys in an alley like that's the violence (laughs) before this the end yeah and that is that's like the most harmless violence is it's basically the her first bit of action on earth is a is a prolonged session of mutated nanomachine bug whack-a-mole um and it's the, the, I mean, apart from that bit and the bit at the end, there's very little violence in this entire movie. And even like even when they're you know fighting at the end and they're fighting the battle suits, like it's made clear that um, the even the though there's people in the battle suits, like they've got uh, I want to say the thing from friggin' Orion's arm, like an angel net type situation going on. Like they're just physical forms. If you you know kill one of them, their brains are fine. Yeah, that kind of brings me to question. That kind of raises a question. So, and and the movie does not make this clear. If you get downloaded into a physical body, is that like the canonical, the singular canonical copy of your what? What does she call it? Her 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 mental matrix. Is that like the canonical you? Is there no other version of you? Uh, the movie it- totally. Or is it? I, it, it kind of glosses over that. Yeah, like the the movie, I don't think wants to deal with those implications, so it just doesn't. Like uh, the implication is that they're when they're like not even born yet, they are uh, digital. Their brains no, 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 no. are scanned 13, and digitized. It's, it's thirteen hundred hours after birth. I think it said no. After conception was the mm. subtitles that I saw. After so, conception, huh? Yeah, hmm. uh, I don't know what thirteen hundred hours is. In I don't know days, but that doesn't anyway. Uh, so it's like they scan their brains in, uh, presumably a destructive scan. Which is oh man, can I talk talk really dumb transhumanistic shit? Go for it. I'm gonna. All right. So like one of the the main issues in like the idea of brain uploading is like in order to upload somebody's brain and the pattern of their brain, it'll probably have to be destructive. You'll have to destroy the original brain to get all the information. Uh, and if it's not, like, that's a whole can of worms on it, on it too. But mm. once you have scanned and emulated a person's brain, like, you have processing power and memory and you've put it all together to create somebody's brain, there is nothing stopping you from replicating it as many times as you want. No. Uh, and, like, this, this movie has some lip service to that with the idea that their, their colony has a limited amount of memory to oh. store people's brains. I was so, so glad when they brought that up. And least of all, I did I suspect it from Dingo. I did not. Yeah, that, I didn't expect him to bring it up. Uh, well, I, I think the implication isn't the implication that he is not uh, that he was an agent who has b- basically been undercover, as it were, for like ever. Like that he was part of Diva. Is that? Am no, I-, I don't think that was the case. I mean, I think it's more the idea that look, he he's been working with Diva, but he mm. understands the system, 
and he's made this conscious decision that he is not going to go into it. Yeah. I think it, I think it's kind of interesting though, because if you have this entirely digitized population and you have like basically nothing else to do, like this is the first, the, the being hacked from the surface. This is like unprecedented for them. It's so novel. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm kind of, and they have like, I think something that's really interesting about this, um, movie and the, the world that it builds for the transhumanist society is that it, um, has like Diva has a scarcity to it that is enforced. Like, they, yeah, they, it is the sort of the implication of, you know, the, the whole thing is that the main worry of the, the ruling class of their society is it's actually really interesting in that they have a ruling class. Like mm-hmm. most of the time when people, when you have, you know, digitized minds and transhumanistic science fiction and stuff, there are like direct democracy or more like more frequently, they are ruled by a benevolent artificial intelligence. Or, or um, I mean, and the other way it's set up is that it is, it is a basically an anarchic society simply because that simply because it is a post scarcity society. Yeah. Cause there's no concern. Like who right. cares about property? Nothing's real or everything is replace replaceable. Yeah. And like it's, it's with the technology that they have, which is ridiculous and absurd and awesome. <laughs> oh God, is it, it should ever. actually be really easy for them to just keep making memory. Yeah, I, I, that was one of the things I thought about too. Like you have, I mean, they have robots. You can, you, I mean, you have this abundance of robots, and you have this insane ability, this insane manufacturing capability. Based, I mean, ba- based on from what you know, I could gather from you know the little nuggets dropped in the plot, which I really wish they expanded on more. Nanotechnology. Yeah. How how is it not simply trivial? to go ahead and just manufacture more storage capacity. Why is there even this limitation? And I think the reason is probably because however this society came together, like sort of the, the implication was there was a huge disaster and this is the way they saved humanity, right? Like the the nanocost or whatever they called it. Yeah. So what I'm kind of thinking that they're implying is that the ruling caste of society basically offered people a lifeboat and and uses it as a way to create a stable society that they control absolutely they could expand very easily but they don't but they would not benefit them to do so like they've not only digitized their brains but they use it to create virtual spaces that replicate human experience they don't want to transcend humanity much more than they have Um, the entire setup of diva is this this constrained meritocracy where the entirety of society is already at this fixed limit. And it's simply a matter of who get, depending on how valuable you are to society, how much, how many percent of that fixed amount do you get, which subsequently pushes some people into this crazy purgatory type thing, the, the archived storage. Yeah. Um, and I think that sort of the, the implication there is supposed to be that, like, this is a society that doesn't want to expand. And not only that, theirs is a society that is extremely closed off. They have some agents on the surface, uh, but, like, they aren't aware of something that's happening just because it's on the other side of the Earth. 
Yeah. Like, which imp- implies they don't have satellite coverage. They don't have, like, in, they don't have satellite coverage unless they're actively using it. They don't bother casting you around. you know what this like, is? This remi- it's 1984. No. This reminds me of pre-Western uh, interaction Japan. Oh, with the extreme isolation. Yeah, with the xenophobia yeah. and the extreme isolation. And that that of this course, reminds me of. A large amount of that isolation is probably motivated by like they they don't want anything leaving their sphere of influence so, where they can't track it because basically, if there was an existential risk that existed outside of them, they would be forced to expand to counteract it. They would be forced to interrupt the stability of their society to just for the sake of existential like ness like. Safeguarding against an existential threat, they would be forced to expand by pretending there's nothing going on around them and shutting down anything that tries to happen outside their sphere of influence. They can continue to be a small, enclosed society. It it, it is a it is militaristic enforcement of the status quo. Yeah, and that's kind of the. I, I, the comparison to 1984 there is the the way that there is a fake war in 1984 that diverts resources. This uses the idea that the, uh, the same total control of information from the outside to imply that there is nothing outside and there does not need to be any resources created or exp- uh, expand, uh, expended. Yeah, it, 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 I, it, I thought it was really interesting that this entire society, which is designed basically so that people can live this hedonistic life... You know, oh, I can I can touch molecules. I can listen to the solar system or whatever. Is so is also so heavily regulated on the content and cultural exposure within it. And yeah. I think the I think the I think the removal or or rather the discarding of rock and roll, um, specifically rock and roll is a really interesting bit of culture yeah. to go away because rock and roll is like one of the one of the biggest foundational pillars of the counterculture which would That's be a, completely yeah. counterproductive to everything diva is trying to sustain yeah that's a really interesting observation you, you don't want a counterculture in your heavily regulated and controlled <laughs> culture uh, can we talk about like the appearance of this, like the 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 the, the visual aesthetic, the, the visual aesthetic, and the the production of it, like the yes, the animation of it? Because <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really, um, it took me, it actually took me about thirty seconds to realize this wasn't hand drawn. Oh wait, let me guess. When the guy coming up to Angela sort of tilted his head, and the movement was just a little that, bit too linear. That and then I went, ah, damn, I did. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and there was mo- like I forgot a couple times during this film that it was 3D. Yeah. And what I kind of noticed was that it, it did people in the distance very well. It often did faces and talking really well, uh, especially because of, like a lot of care was done to replicate a sort of like you know hand drawn style with the way that people express themselves style, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the parts where it broke down the most for me uh, was actually, this is like a, a weird, this is coming from the perspective of a person who does 3D animation and, you know, all this. Mm. Where it broke down was usually 
uh, when you could see, this is like really weird, when you could see somebody's hips, uh, when you got a, sh- yeah. a shot wide enough that you could see their center of mass, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, because when they walked or moved or shifted, they did the thing that animators do when they don't realize that they're sort of animating around the center of gravity of a character. <laughs> so, like, they kind of stiff lock at the hips. <laughs> so, um, like, when it was, like, shots... Uh, that were closer in or farther out both of those were usually pretty good but those mid shots were pretty rough a lot of times see for me where where i think the three i mean let me let me just start out really clear this is one of the this movie is one of the best implementations of using 3d to to make a 2d style uh animation that i've seen in a long time this is this it's is really amazing. one of this is really one of the best. That being said, you can still see a little bit how the sausage is made in this and where the animators got lazy, where they went, okay, keyframe here, keyframe here, interpolate. Um which which to those who are not, you know, knowledgeable about animation is where you set two points, the start and the finish of a mo- of a motion and just have the computer fill in which nine times out of 10 is filled in very linearly. It's a smooth, consistent motion. And whether there's anything humans are not, it's smooth and consistent. Um, there was a couple of times where I was like, am I watching this or Ruby? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's those, for me, it was the linear, mo- it was the occasional linear motions that really, that really were made the 3D-ness of it apparent. Um primarily and i I think this is i think this is just due to expediency um or rather the convenience of doing it in 3d uh, as opposed to it being hand drawn or or drawn in flash where you're still doing a bulk of the frames um for me it was when there were it was the big expressive motions Mm. that were really the most highlighted in terms of ah yes this is where they went this is where they went cheapy cheapy on doing the animation there and went with the linear motion on it um yeah well, uh, waving I your hands part- around or making these big motions you know like um in the towards the end where uh dingo is talking about uh, a moral coding this is hand swipe motion oh, the hand chop the hand yeah. chop which has absolutely no frame of reference in western culture i'm assuming there's something in japanese culture about that but there's there's no frame of reference in western culture not that i know do, do you know of anything like that uh no but i i've seen it like it's actually in sailor moon a bunch yeah, whenever well, characters well, are leveling Jap- with one, well, well, there, one another that, again, so that, that's japanese yeah. culture it's there's no frame of reference for that in western culture yeah. um it's this like very direct start to finish one motion, you know, and yeah. when Frontier Setter's doing it, that's that you can understand. He's a robot. Everything is supposed to look artificial about him, but it's like that kind of motion from a human. It doesn't feel right. It, like a traditional animation for that would involve a lot more like uh, squash and stretch, yeah, and like beating and stuff like that to make it. To give a good sense of motion and exaggeration to it, yeah. Um, like where three when three D usually falls down in motion is two things. Like when they do things that are supposed to be artificial, they're too clean. Like airplanes always look wrong 
in uh, on because like a real airplane judders and the wings flex and all this stuff that people don't animate and with people they always i can't give them too much crap on that one because i don't think most people a know that airplane wings flex and judder and even (laughs) if they do they'd really rather not think about it (laughs) yeah the first time i ever saw an airplane in a movie that i thought looked real was um in king kong the Mm. the peter jackson remake because i i my great uncle flew biplanes and Ah. i've seen a lot of planes up close I got to air shows a lot too. And the old, these old planes rattling and flexing was really convincing in a way that I had never seen in a movie like Pearl Harbor just a couple years earlier. Those planes look like crap when they were on screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the, the lack of exaggeration uh, most of the time, like sometimes they did exaggerate things. I noticed that like her hair is clearly hand animated and they clearly, like, would just tell the computer to not do frames. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you could see it sort of like, oh, yeah, that is how it would look if somebody was drawing it by hand. Actually, I thought they exaggerated it a little too much because if if people if people who draw anime put effort into anything, it's always somebody's hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so, like, there were places where it was really convincing, but I think... Mm. In a lot of it, they they either they stepped up the techniques to make it look traditional a little bit too much, and so it actually looked really artificial when frames were missing to look like they you know limited animation techniques. Mm. Um, simply because like you're you're kind of drawing attention to it in a way that if you were actually doing a limited animation piece hand drawn, you would try to hide it. <laughs> uh, and the other was, yeah, the, the interpolation or the, uh, the like way too smooth camera movements and stuff like that. Mm, man. Uh, it would have been neat if they had done things like locking the background a little bit so that, um, cause that's traditionally what you get in a 2d animated piece when they want to save money on, you know, animating a moving background <laughs> is ridiculously expensive. So you lock the background a bit and you use a pan Yeah, and you like, if they had done more things like that, those parts would have been more convincing. Yeah, but uh, the one the, the there are parts that of this movie that because of the 3D is absolutely stunning. And oh, the the cyberspace, the cyber, was amazing, the cyberspace and the mecha fights. Yeah, the mecha f- and the <laughs> space scene. I oh, fucking my. love that, that was space amazing. Scene. Um, I think I think within the story within the 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 story. The idea that Frontier Setter A busted her out of of, of VR space jail, um, copied her to this floating armament thing station, and she just is going through it and just release all the things. And yeah, just, <laughs> I want all the support elements, <laughs> everything. <laughs> and that just was the, really the great. Animation of those things just flooding out of that space station with each with their own little propulsion arc yeah. trailing behind them. I'm really glad that that meteor came down in Russia so now everybody knows what things re-entering the atmosphere look like. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was really cool. Oh yeah. I mean this whole thing was I mean it was great. I really liked the just on a technology aspect I really liked those dissolving parachutes. 
Yeah, those were really cool because it gave them it gave them like the the traditional anime imagery cherry blossom shit. Oh my god, yeah, but I just thought, very technological. Yeah, te- technology technological justification for the uh, for the you know stereotypical cherry blossoms going on there. Yeah, though as a as a, a Kerbal Space Program player watching the parish like the drag shoots go and then the burn happen and. I just, you know, wince like, oh, no, you don't leave your suicide burn for last. I, uh, <laughs> burn I, first, parachute second. I have never gotten anything to successfully launch in Kerbal. Never. Uh, y- y- there's two There's two solutions. The first is, is it not going far enough? More boosters? Is it falling apart? More struts? And the second is, like, watch a couple of YouTubes and do exactly as they say. <laughs> you can make a rocket that's, like, a third as big as what you think you need. <laughs> All right, so we've been going at this for a fair bit now. I'd say about forty-five, about half an hour, about half an hour, forty-five minutes or so, give or take. It's hitting forty-five minutes on my recording, but you got to chunk like five minutes of that. Oh yeah, no, and and my audition crashed a long time ago, so I've got a, I've got, I got to stitch stuff together. Um, final thoughts. What do you think? Uh, really solid. I'm eager to watch it again to do my notes. Mm. Uh, like this has been a weird like. 2016 has already been me getting back into anime. Like, I watched... I blitzed an entire series of very bad anime earlier. Mm. (laughs) Uh, For the sake of it being very bad. So I'm rather glad that I had this as a palate cleanser to remind me why I like these dumb Japanese cartoons. Can I I make a... A um, a, uh, a very... very, A one-sentence synopsis of this movie? Yeah. All right. Expelled from Paradise is Cowboy Bebop meets Trigun meets Ghost in the Shell. Full yeah, uh, that's that's hard to be. Uh, I feel the Ghost in the Shell comparison is a little rough, mostly because this is doesn't really have this pointedly avoids a lot of the philosophical stuff. But yeah, I'll agree. Oh. All right, what about you? So uh, should we give this like a we? You know, this is our first actual discussion about how this how this whole project is really going to be do we should we give like a like a, a an x out of y score no i hate <laughs> i hate numbered ratings let's do a let's do like a, a thumbs up thumbs down thing like a like you know yes see this or no don't bother okay uh maybe with like a if you like xyz okay yes all right otherwise blah all right so you know? um um yes do see this film it, yeah, if you if you like robots or and and or every anime ever made, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. If you grew good. up on and if you grew up on Toonami in the U.S., what this is you're gonna like this. That's that's yeah, this all there is, is to it. This is this is not just this isn't just up your alley. This is an extension of your alley that mostly looks like it, but it's a little bit too clean. This is, this is in the convenience store on the shelf. That's really easy to reach on that. The convenience store that is in your alley. This is, it's right there. Just, just All right. <laughs> just too big of a stretch. This metaphor <laughs> is definitely getting away from us. So yeah, this is up. in your alley. If your alley was a spaceship <laughs> that contained the digitized remains of all human life, uh, ruled by three different pantheons of gods. Oh my god, Yo, we didn't even talk about that. What a forced metaphor! Oh my god, yeah, that was a little much. I, 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 
that's one of those like you are not ghost in the shell back it up buddy back this shit up you know uh oh man so i man i have a thing that we should do next time because we can't do it now but uh this is the the format i used on my other podcast where you introduce the topic of the next podcast at the end of yours but i don't know what movie we should watch (laughs) so we should keep that in mind for next time hold on hold on hold on Okay, so after a little bit of searching through uh, Netflix and the possibilities, Derek has come up with an excellent choice for next week's movie. Derek, lay it on them. We're going to watch Attack the Block. Yes! Uh, it's going to be really good! <laughs> it, it stars that guy who's who was in the new Star Wars movie. Yes, whose name... Uh, John Bodega? Boyega. No, Boyega. Boyega. Bo. John Bodega. Bo. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I sorry. I completely missed whatever reference that was. Oh, I you don't know Bo de Ga Bodega. No, I don't. What's this? <laughs> Explain your joke. I'll, Ruin it for everyone. I'll send you a thing later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So attack the block next week, Derek. I'll yes. See you then. Yeah. And until then, watch movies. I guess. Yes. <laughs> This is 52 Films. See you later. Good night. 52 Films is a Frostworks production. To find out more about us and what we do, check us out at www.frost.works.